Hi friends, welcome to the Let's Celebrate Learning podcast, where we discuss brain tips for your classroom. Today's episode is going to be a treat for you because I have Miss Ray's room. Yes, the one who is behind that Instagram handle. That teacher is amazing. She first caught my attention with her post-it notes and her incredible quotes on them. Please go to her handle on the show notes and you will immediately fall in love with her feed, with her quotes, with her thoughts. She's amazing and she knows what she's talking about. So I recommend you to get some pencil and papers so you can write everything that she's about to share with us. She has so many tips and valuable information that we can apply right away tomorrow when we come back to the classroom. So let's dive on in. Hi, Anina. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. I love connecting with other educators and getting a chance to talk about teaching but I also wanted to say thank you so much for that amazing Instagram feed of yours. I learned so much from it. Hi, thank you so much for coming to this podcast. And what don't you tell us about you? Okay, so a little about me. My mother was a teacher and um, like most stubborn teenagers, I was adamant that I would not be a teacher. So I went to college and I majored in English literature because I love to read and write. However, pretty soon after graduation, I realized that there are not many job hostings for the English graduate. So I took a job at a junior high school and in full disclosure, I did take the job for the hours, but I quickly fell in love with teaching. So I ended up going back to school for my master's and I got my master's in elementary education from Salem State University in Massachusetts. And then a year after completing my master's, I went back to Stellum State and I got my CAGS in educational leadership. And usually after I say that, most people say, you got a what? So just in case, a CAGS is a Certificate of Advanced Graduate Studies. So now today I'm certified as a special education teacher and elementary education teacher, assistant principal and principal and a special education administrator. I worked as a CPI trainer for years. CPI is a de-escalation training and restraint training association. I'm also trained in LIPS, Project Read, Wilson Reading, and a few others. This is my 18th year in education, and I can honestly say that I love it more and more each year. How did your passion for all of this begin? My passion is to promote social-emotional literacy through the integration of social-emotional learning in our everyday academic lives. And it really stems from my first years in education. When I initially went into teaching, I wanted to teach elementary school. But my first teaching job was actually as a middle school special education teacher in a multi-age classroom at a public therapeutic day school in an inner city. <laughs> so my students were 16-year-old eighth graders who all towered over me. They all had a sad story and a tough life, but I understood them and I wanted more for them. And understanding them really helped me to build relationships with them, along with honesty and transparency and all communication that I had with them. That was definitely key too. 
And my belief in them that each of them could succeed motivated them to believe in themselves as well. So teaching quickly became my passion, but my passion wasn't just teaching my kids academic content. It was about building relationships and improving social emotional intelligence and academic content just became my vehicle. Almost 20 years later, one husband, who is also a teacher, a well-worn passport, and a few chihuahuas, and I am here still, still teaching and still truly loving it. I'm not sure, honestly, how much I taught them in that first year, but I will never forget what they taught me. They showed me that all kids are the same, no matter their background, culture, or socioeconomic status. It's our job as educators to help each of them succeed. I truly believe that education is the great equalizer, but it has to be a comprehensive education, and that includes social-emotional learning. I've learned that by incorporating my loves of reading and writing, which I initially went to school for, I am able to integrate social-emotional learning within my teaching practices. I've always been SEL's tremendous impact on students' performance. I've always seen that. But now the research is there to prove it. New research is proving that those of us in education already knew. Brain development and the learning are directly dependent on social-emotional experience. This research is proving that in addition to basic physiological needs like nutrition and sleep, brain development also requires social relationships, emotional experiences, and cognitive research resources, which ready the brain to take advantage of those learning opportunities that we give them every day. So if these three components, social, emotional, I mean, I'm sorry, (laughs) social relationships, emotional experiences, and cognitive resources. So let me repeat those again. If these three components, social relationships, emotional experiences, and cognitive resources are not in the forefront of our teaching, our students are not taking full advantage of the learning opportunities presented to them. There are three major brain networks that together support a broad range of mental capacities. These are the executive control network, the default mode network, and the salience network. Through these three networks, co-regulation and coordination, each of these networks contributes to social, emotional, and cognitive functioning. So even the driest, most logical academic learning cannot be processed in a purely rational way. Instead, the student's body, brain, and mind come together to produce cognition and emotion, which are subjectively intertwined as the student constructs culturally relevant knowledge and makes decisions about how to act and think. So taken together, the neuroscientific evidence linking emotion, social processing, and the self suggests a whole new approach to understanding how children engage in academic skills like reading. While skills like reading certainly have cognitive aspects, don't get me wrong, the reason why we engage in them, the importance we assign to them, the anxiety we feel around them, and the learning that we do about them are driven by the neurological systems for emotion, social processing, and self. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for that valuable information. But how can we apply all of that into our classrooms tomorrow when we come back to the classroom? So yeah, (laughs) what does all of that mean for our teaching? 
One of my favorite quotes that I probably say all too often is, all learning has an emotional base. Plato actually said this, and he did it over 2,000 years ago. Modern neuroscientists argue that emotion is fundamental to learning. And when a student has a learning experience, emotion and cognition operate seamlessly in the brain. So our optimal learning environments should tap into those three major brain networks and seek to further develop those areas. But let's take a look at a couple of ways that we can incorporate SEL or social emotional learning into our teaching practices for all students. And I'll give you a few specific ways to support your students with learning disabilities and also some examples of ways to infuse these ideas through reading. So one way to incorporate SEL into your teaching practices in reading is to use the power of the story. Story is a powerful framework for social emotional learning. Stories can offer students a safe context for social emotional learning. Students can learn from these characters, actions, words, and lives. They can inspire them. Stories can teach them and stories and relationships that become intertwined with them from character to storyteller can really change us. But the story is only as powerful as its reader. And how much do our weakest readers need the social emotional literacy? Statistics actually show that 80% of students with learning disabilities have a reading disorder. Our learning disabled readers are constantly struggling to manage emotions tied to their learning. This is why. I want to help teachers be able to teach all students to be able to read for improved social emotional literacy. CASEL is the Collaborative Academic Social and Emotional Learning. Um, it, you can Google it online. It's a trusted source for knowledge about high quality evidence-based social and emotional learning. They support educators and policy leaders and enhance the experience and outcomes for all students. They do, they look at pre-K through 12. They actually define social emotional, a social emotional learning as a process through which children and adults understand and manage emotions, set and achieve positive goals, feel and show empathy for others, establish and maintain positive relationships, and make responsible decisions. Castle's widely used framework identifies five core competencies, and those are self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making. From an SEL standpoint or point of view, interventions that are comprehensive and link academic and social-emotional learning have actually the greatest likelihood of helping students with learning disabilities. So one way to teach SEL through storytelling is to ask your students SEL-type questions about the story. Use the SEL competencies to generate those questions. This can be implemented during guided reading, independent reading, literature circles, or read-alouds. So for example, you can ask questions like, what was the character feeling? How did you know this? What were the character's actions, voice, body language, words, facial expressions that showed you that that character was feeling this? Or how can we tell if someone feels this way? How did the character act when they were feeling angry, sad, whatever the character was feeling? Was it helpful to act this way? How did this cause others to act? A second way to incorporate SEL into your teaching practices in reading is to build relationships with and between students. 
There are tons of research studies that demonstrate the significant impact teachers have on students. The quality of a person's relationships and social interactions truly shapes their development and health, both of the body and the brain. Strong relationships, and this can be with teachers and or peers, help students to grow from their learning, both academically and behaviorally. One way to do this is to develop a behavior intervention plan with the student and include opportunities for, your, for support, for your support, to help the student achieve. Additionally, supportive relationships can really protect students from negative stress. Teachers can model appropriate communication skills for students. The learning activity environment should model and support that flexible and efficient thinking to support those executive functioning skills. And teacher language can encourage and motivate students. In turn, relationships can help to build relationships with peers. One way to do this is to teach and promote learning friends. We all have friends that we sit with at lunch or play basketball with or hang out with outside of school, but we can have learning friends too, and we can promote such friendships in our classrooms. So teach your students about learning friends and utilize that between each other to build relationships within the classroom. Schools are really social contexts. Students are constantly socializing with both peer groups and staff members. This can be done socially, like on playgrounds or using the academic content as a medium. We can reinforce SEL skills as part of the informal curriculum, like lunch, recess, and extracurricular activities. Inclusion of classroom discussions can really further support that building of relationship. In addition, they can really help develop communication skills and an ability to elaborate on a student's thinking. So if you're fostering this with your students and you're talking to them every day, they're really developing those skills and really getting to think about their own thinking. And you can start by explicitly teaching, modeling, and practicing discussion norms. As students practice, they can reflect on their strengths and discussions and their areas to improve upon. Students can choose one item from their list to improve upon, to set as a goal for themselves in their next discussions. And then they can reflect upon these goals after the next few discussions, finally deciding if they've either accomplished it or in ready to be moving on to a new goal. Maybe they need to adjust their goal or if they need to keep working towards it. And once these processes are really ingrained, students can continue these independently as you implement discussions throughout the school year across all academic areas. Classroom discussions can incorporate cooperative learning activities or be incorporated in cooperative learning activities too. Cooperative learning activities require students to actively work together around content in a meaningful way. The majority of students with learning disabilities have difficulties with social relationships, so explicitly teaching students the norms of working with a group can be really helpful for those students, and kind of all students. Then give them opportunities to practice, apply, and adjust those skills. The jigsaw activity is one way to include cooperative learning in the classroom. It's a great activity. I feel like I've done it a thousand times in my grad classes and I enjoy it. So I know my students enjoy it as well. So a third way to further incorporate SEL into your teaching practices and reading is to develop supportive, caring learning environments. Actually, this podcast is a great way to learn. She shares a lot about brain science around the design of learning spaces. So she's definitely an expert for that. That is not my expertise, but here is what I know. <laughs> 
I should say actually one more time, definitely listen to this podcast to help you set up the best learning environment around that using like that brain science. It's amazing. Anyways, again, not my expertise, but I do know this. Research demonstrates that optimal learning educational activities should foster engagement and learning through culturally relevant, meaningful, and productive tasks that represent the right level of challenge or difficulty for a student. A learner's emotional and social experience should always be present in the learning activity and environment. The learning activity and environment need to support age-appropriate exploration and engage students actively and experientially in the learning process. Think service learning here. Research also tells us that successful inclusion depends on students having social and emotional skills necessary to manage a range of social interactions between students with disabilities and other diverse peers. Successful inclusive settings are characterized by strong supportive climates with clear value structures and the necessary resources, including staff. And I know we can just kind of parking lot that discussion for a whole other time. So back to what I was saying, how do we make a safe learning experience for all learners, including those with disabilities? We should be implementing developmentally appropriate disciplinary strategies to motivate students to want to behave in our classrooms. And one way to do this is to give students a voice in the classroom through activities such as the students developing their classroom norms and rules. We also need to teach our students how to be learners. We can teach support and promote executive functioning skills. These are huge. So helping students to set goals and deadlines for themselves help students acquire those habits of mind and habits of character. Students can really benefit from learning organization and realistic goal setting through self-assessment and self-reflection. Students can learn from their work through an assessment lens as well as a reflective lens, which allows them to actively think about their own work and then think about how to improve upon it. It's such a great tool to teach reflection and then goal setting and assessment of your goals. It's such a great life skill too. And this inevitably will lead to kind of goal setting across all areas. The jigsaw strategy, again, is an excellent tool for reading. So let's talk about that because it also can incorporate cooperative learning. So you just have to pick a topic and find text on the topic subtopics. Find one text for each subtopic. As you choose text, make sure to level the text that you choose. So for example, let's say my topic is frogs. I will choose an above grade level text on survival of frogs. Then I might choose two grade level texts, one on the life cycle of a frog and then one specifically about the tadpole stage. And then I might choose a lower level text for that lower level group and that could be on the diet of a frog. My choice of the reading level for each text is dependent upon my reading groups. So students start in their home groups. I like to have my home groups consist of about three to four students. And then my home groups are homogeneous. They consist of similar leveled readers. Each group then is given its respective text. They read the text independently or as a group, totally your choice. And groups then collaborate and complete a graphic organizer on their text or answer a question about their text. 
the lowest level readers might receive the support of a special education teacher during this time. And then students move to their expert groups. These groups are heterogeneous groups. And I have an above level reader, two on grade level readers, and one reader reading below grade level in each group. And then in these groups, they teach each other about their text and or like, you know, their subtopic. They also might complete a graphic organizer on the topic, and then maybe they do that as they learn. Special education students might receive a completed one or support to complete through like an assistive tech or a teacher. To support groups, you might give a guided question that after sharing about their subtopics, they have to answer. And then we come back together and summarize our learning as a group. At this point, I can kind of clarify under any misunderstandings, and then our groups can assess their collaboration as a group. And this can be debriefed as well. Students can reflect upon their individual participation in the group and then set goals for themselves, which again ties back to that goal setting during discussions. We can further support our students with learning disabilities by providing them with a format for planning and carrying out activities like the jigsaw strategy. You can do this for projects and reports too. So I've talked a lot, <laughs> but essentially new research is proving what those of us in education already kind of knew. Brain development and the learning are directly dependent on the social emotional experience. And as a result, education is paying more attention to the importance of social emotional learning now. They're finally realizing that these skills matter. The goal of teaching social emotional skills is really to build students' mental health and resilience so that as they grow, they can adapt and handle what comes at them. SEL targets essential life skills for students, provides a foundation for safe and positive learning, and enhances students' ability to succeed in school, careers, and life. It's really essential for all of us. We know now that the brain development is also impacted by health-related and physical development factors like sleep, nutrition, toxin exposure, pop, you know, puberty, all of those things, which in turn influence social-emotional functioning and cognition. This underscores the importance of a whole-child approach to education reform and leads to truly important insights for research on social-emotional learning. I think I can say, and I think we can all say, we know that learning depends on how nature is nurtured. Right, guys? We totally know that. And we knew this already. We're teachers. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much again for sharing all this information with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I am sure that my friends will want to follow you because... You have so much to give and to share with us. So why don't you tell us about where we can find you? Where can you find me? So you can check out much of what I've talked about on my blog. It's missraisram.com, M-I-S-S-R-A-E-S-R-O-O-M. You can also find my teaching resources on Teachers Pay Teachers. Just search Miss Raisram. And you can connect to me on Instagram at Miss Raisram. I'll spell it again for you. It's M-I-S-S-R-A-E apostrophe S-R-O-O-M. Can you tell I'm a teacher? 
Anyways, so yes, definitely connect with me on Instagram at Miss Ray's Room. I share all of my sources and my posts on Instagram. So if you're interested in looking at any of the research that I talked about today, you can find all of the links there. Um, I also teach courses online for teachers through the Learning Tree Professional Development Network. Um, so check me out there too. I would love to learn alongside of you. Um, it's been such a pleasure getting to share with you guys today. So thanks so much for listening. Bye guys. Okay friends, give this amazing teacher a follow and head on the show notes to get more information about her and to have access to the ultimate guide to a brain-based classroom design instruction. Enjoy it and talk to you next time. In the meantime, let's celebrate learning. <laughs>